Hello, everybody. I am Lindsay Zarniak. And I'm MJ Acosta-Ruiz. Today on On Her Turf at the Olympics. We will talk to an up-and-coming reporter, 10-year-old Pepper Pursley. Plus, veteran reporter Andrea Joyce will give her insights on Simone Biles' decision to step away from the individual all-around. And we will catch up with American cyclist Amber Neben. This podcast is presented by Nordatrack from iFit. So many athletes at these Tokyo Olympics have helped continue the conversation about mental health. Yeah, that includes, of course, Simone Biles. After withdrawing from the team competition, she and her teammates Jordan Childs, Suni Lee, and Grace McCollum touched on their support for each other in a press conference. Here's a clip. This, yeah, this, this medal is definitely for her because if it wasn't, yes. if it wasn't for her we wouldn't be here where we are right now. We wouldn't be silver Olympic medalists because of who she is as a person. So this all, like, kudos to you, girly. Like, this is all for you. Like, <laughs> yes, you. We, yes, we did this. Just, yeah. like, We're going to battle back and forth. But, <laughs> <laughs> but no, the, really, like, you're, you're part of this team, and, you know, Thank you. You, you deserve it, too. That chemistry is unbreakable. Earlier today, it was announced by USA Gymnastics that Biles will not compete in tomorrow's all-around final in order to, quote, focus on her mental health. The statement from USA Gymnastics adding, we wholeheartedly support Simone's decision and applaud her bravery in prioritizing her well-being. To talk about this story further, we're joined now by NBC Olympics reporter Andrea Joyce. Andrea, thank you so much for being here. I mean, listen, you live and breathe this sport. You've been with this team from the very beginning. So what was your takeaway as this story surrounding Simone Biles started to unfold? You know, it's so interesting because um, I've known Simone since she was 13, 14 years old. And you, you fall into this pattern, you know, as you get close to an Olympics and, you know, we go through um, national, it was a little bit different this year, obviously, but, you know, you go through national championships and then to the trials and everybody says, okay, this is what's going to happen. And you just all assume that that is what's going to happen, barring injury or whatever. And uh, to see it unfold was absolutely shocking. And Tim Daggett, who's been in the sport forever, Nastia, you know, everyone was speechless. We'd never seen anything like it before. Um, but, you know, I have to say that I, I cannot believe the guts that it took to make that decision to do that, which was the absolute right decision. What It's one thing if I have a bad day and if I think that I'm having a mental health day, it's not dangerous for me, right? What she's doing, the, the gymnastics that she does is so dangerous that if she is not completely focused and completely confident in what she's doing, just one slip of the hand is, mm -hmm. you know, is so, so dangerous. So she did the absolute right thing. I think a lot of people in, in, who have been criticizing this uh, tend to sort of compartmentalize physical health and mental health. And especially, right. as you just touched on it, both are very, very much intertwined and equally as important. Um, now, in terms of this ramp up, like you mentioned, what most people at home and what we see is just that vault, that moment. But nothing happens in that vacuum. There was certainly a, a crescendo here. What was the sense you got as, as we got to that moment with Simone? Um... I'm, I'm going to say that, we, you know, we, we, as I said, we saw her at nationals and we saw her at trials. And at nationals, you know, in an Olympic year, you always sense a little bit more tension. So in a non-Olympic year, if I'm walking into the gym on a training day, 
they're all smiling and laughing and they look, and, oh, hi, Andrea, you know, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's very chill. But I think that in an Olympic year, it's, it's always different. And it starts, and that ramp up starts with national championships. So I noticed it a little bit, but it was with everyone. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty, you know, I'm a reporter. I'm pretty good at observing. And I did not notice that there was something going on. I mean, that last day of trials, Everybody said when she had an off day, everybody said, well, it's just an off day. You know, she's human. She had an off day. And then when we saw her in the first day in qualifying, um, you know, it just it, it, it was shocking to us because we thought, OK, so that's two competitions in a row. And it was just unheard of for her because she's so perfect all the time. And we're all so spoiled by that. Um, so I don't I don't think I, a lot of us didn't see it coming. I keep thinking about her confidence, you know, and to, to the point that you made about how brave and the guts that she had to make mm -hmm. this decision. When you think about how this moment will be remembered, what strikes you? Well, I think that, you know, so here you have this gymnast who is, you know, the, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, and, and one of the greatest athletes, not just in her sport, but just in the history of all sports. And I think that her legacy, her legacy could very well be, uh, of course, it's the medals and it's, you know, all the accolades and everything else, but her legacy could very well be what she does for this, for shining a light on mental health issues. Same thing with, with Michael Phelps. You know, Michael Phelps, you know, has all of these medals and, you know, is so accomplished. But I'm thinking that what people are going to remember, they'll remember that, of course, but what, what is the, the most important thing that he's doing right now is his work making sure that mental health is out there for, you know, that people are talking about it. You know, when I started in this business, nobody would have ever, ever, ever admitted to having any kind of problem. And I don't know that it was so much seen as a weakness, but it was seen as just taboo. You know, it's like a million years ago, nobody talked about cancer. They said the C word. Um, you know, so this is to me such a pivotal, pivotal moment um, for, for so many people and millions of Americans, millions of people around the world. And for them to know that they can not be afraid to say that they have an issue, I, I just think it's huge. And I think that people, yes, people will remember this, but it'll be remembered for all of the right reasons. MJ said earlier today that she was thinking about this all day yesterday, and that's how I feel. I mean, it's almost emotional talking about it because you look at this younger generation and you think, good for you. Like how, right? how brave you are, you know? Yes, absolutely. And like, yeah. sorry that, you know, people before you haven't done it, so... Yeah, sorry, yeah. not I sorry. Mean, you know, <laughs> right. But 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 honestly, though, when you think about it, like here's Simone Biles. Her her image, her face is plastered on how, how many commercials you can't turn on the TV without seeing her and without all, you know showing her gymnastics and and the, you know the, this you know the, the the hope for all of these gold medals and and this is going to be such an amazing Olympics for her and 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 everything else and for her to to have that all right here and say. I'm, I'm walking away. I mean, that's like, <laughs> you know, I bow down. I mean, that's, you know, it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me that somebody has the guts to do that. I don't understand how anyone can look at what Simone has already overcome when she has competed in pain, both emotional and physical, and look at this moment and this decision and think that it's not out of a place of strength and out of a place yeah. of maturity and yeah. experience. I mean... It's it's, yeah. it's just uh, and you know and, and the other you know the other thing you know because because the the 
I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure that there are other sports. I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, maybe race car driving, you know, that would be so dangerous if you weren't right on yeah. your mm-hmm. game. But, but if there, there are probably a lot of sports where it, it wouldn't be quite as dangerous. I mean, she's up there, she's flipping in the air and, and three times and, and trying to find the ground. It's, it's dangerous. So there's that part of it. And the other part of it too is that, because I, I read something where someone was criticizing her for letting the team down. And I thought, she... She really thought that she was in a place where she could not help them. And she had so mm-hmm. much confidence in them that she thought, you're going to be better off without me, too. So there, so there were two sides of it, I felt. And I thought that, you know, that was, that was such a magnanimous thing to do as well. Yes. And the team didn't skip a beat. They knew exactly what was happening, where she how was coming awesome. from. Immediately. How, how awesome were they? Yeah. Yes. I mean, to, to, so the one, the one good thing about not having a crowd at the Olympics, because you're always looking for a positive and everything, is that <laughs> we have microphones everywhere and we can pick up all of the sound from the athletes that we would never be able to hear if the arena were full. Yes. And 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 for SUNY to be standing there when before Simone had come back out, you know, she left after the first rotation and before she came back out, they were over by bars and SUNY said, Okay. We got this, and she's she's talking to her teammates, and she's young. She's a teenager. Mm-hmm. You know, she's she's standing there, and she said, "This is what we're going to do. We got to do this. We can't do that. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna do what we do in in practice." And it was just amazing to see her take on this leadership role, and you know, and Grace and um, and Jordan are, are you know they're, they're all and they're yes yes yes. And I don't know if you saw, but <laughs> when they were marching to the fourth rotation, the last rotation, they were trailing um, the 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 Russians by. I think less than a point, and they were going to floor. And, you know, you thought you were going to have this storybook ending, you know, the miracle on ice. But, of course, it didn't really even matter because what they did was so incredible. And that silver is, to me, better than any gold, right? I mean, it was just so spectacular. But they were singing, and they were were marching, and they they just were so pumped up in the energy. And the poise that they showed, Jordan, can you imagine? Here she is. She's in the warm-up gym before the competition starts. She doesn't think she's going on bars or on beam. Yeah. And then at the last minute, somebody said, beam? You know, like, oh, by the way, it's the Olympics and you're going to compete on beam. I mean, hello, like off the bench with, you know, and the poise that they showed, it was just remarkable to me. Really, really amazing. It's like a movie. It's like a movie. Oh, yeah. so just amazing. You know, I'm, I'm standing in the mix zone and, you know, of course I'm old. I've been around. This is my 15th Olympics, you know, and oh I think God, that Andrea. I'm, you know, like I'm so, you know, I'm so over everything and I'm standing in the mix zone. And I'm like, oh, 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 <laughs> trying to hold it together. I thought this is such a bad look, you know. I feel like I'm a minute away from that here. Andrea Joyce, <laughs> thank you so much for all your insight and for taking the time to be with us today. Uh, happy, happy to do it. Great to see you guys. All right, you too. We'll be back with more of the On Her Turf podcast after this. Oh, this is a story about perseverance. Let's rewind to five years ago. This is Dutch cyclist Annemiek van Vluten, who was leading the women's road race at the 2016 Rio Olympics when she had this very scary crash. She actually ended up 
in the hospital with three broken vertebrae. Fast forward now to Tokyo, the women's road race from a few days ago. She was the gold medal favorite, but her day started off with another spill you see here. She caught back up with the pack. And when she crossed the finish line, she thought she had won, but actually it was Austria's Anna Kiesenhofer who was ahead of her. You see that reaction there, her emotions. Needless to say, today Van Vluten was looking for a little vindication in today's time trial. Yep, and she got just that. She won the event by almost a full minute. Finally, she now has an Olympic medal, a gold medal at that, adding that to her silver medal from the road race. So what a moment for Van Vluten after today's race. She was asked about her goals for the future, and she said that she's looking very much forward to the fact that the Tour de France will finally have a multi-day women's competition next year. We're certainly looking forward to seeing her. Why was my first reaction? Maybe she's looking forward to a minute to rest. Nope, get her (laughs) right back out there. That's why she's an Olympian. Yeah. And I'm sitting on the And I love her raising the bike after after the race. Like, she's got all that energy stored up, right? Full adrenaline, right, at that moment. Well-deserved, too. Yes. Take your moment, girl. I love it. it. Right now, though, we are so excited to be joined by another epic cyclist, American Amber Neven. She also competed in the women's time trial earlier today, finishing fifth. Amber, so great to have you here with us. Welcome to On Her Turf at the Olympics. Okay, so this uh, time trial today, you finished fifth, best ever for you. What are your thoughts on that performance? Wow, it was was an awesome ride for me. So I'm excited with my effort and just to be within, you know, 11 seconds of a medal um, at the same time makes it makes it a little hard in the mm-hmm. sense of I really came, I really came for a medal, but yeah, no, no regrets. I left it all out there today. I hope you don't mind. We're not trying to date you here, but it's very <laughs> cool. You made your world championship debut, Amber, in 2001. On Instagram, I saw you posted earlier that age is a descriptor, not a definer. Right. So what does it mean for you at 46 to be competing at this level? It's special. Uh, it's really special. I think you know, I hope it's an encouraging thing and an inspiration to both young people and old people. Um, really, the idea being that, you know, achieving goals and reaching dreams, sometimes it takes a really long time and a whole lot of perseverance, and you just got to stay with it and keep after it. And then from the age standpoint, you know, I think so many times today, whether it's age or skin color, or, you know, whatever it is, it's like we try to box people in and Gosh. you shouldn't be boxed in by the, the things that describe us, you know, just, just let them be descriptors and then find your identity and go chase your dreams. I love that, Amber. It's really just a line on the bio, right? It has, um, it's just sort of there to to accent, but not define. I love that you said that. Actually, we have um, slightly older competitors this year. Even in gymnastics, uh, some of the women are are, are a little older than what most people are used to. Uh, What do you attribute that to, though? I love a little experience. Listen, right? (laughs) That's true. Yeah, age, you know, I think now with the science of training, we've gotten really good with taking care of our bodies. We've got really good with training and understanding, you know, how to perform and how to really use rest, use the right type of preparation, use the right type of training. So it's just a combination of really how we're learning um, to train, how we're learning to take care of our bodies. And then I just think there's an element of toughness that comes with getting older. And there's certain people that just, I mean, the combination of passion and love for what they're doing with regards to the sport. And then, yeah, just the motivation um, to take care of yourself and to go after it. So, yeah, it's it's not impossible. I, I tell you what, it gets really hard. It's super hard at 46, um, much harder than it was at 26. 
You also are a cancer survivor. How has that impacted you? What have you learned from that journey that, that you apply to your competition? Yeah, so I had a melanoma back in 2007. And honestly, you know, I was pretty blessed to find it early. Um, but yeah, certainly it's one of those things where you don't take anything for granted. You know, when I found out I had cancer, it was pretty scary. You know, you don't know what's going to happen and wow, what the recovery is going to be like. And, you know, if you've got two days left or, you know, the rest of your, your life is still in front of you. So it really just taught me to not take the next day for granted, um, not take my health for granted and to really take care of my skin. Um, being outside all the time, I just have to be really diligent with getting skin checks and watching out for, you know, the, the skin cancer before it can take shape. A new perspective is everything. Everybody out there, wear your sunscreen, please. Yes. Amber, it's no secret that cycling and especially road cycling has some of the greatest gender disparities in sports from distance racing to competitive opportunities to prize money. Mm -hmm. How do you assess the current landscape and, and where do you hope the sport goes in the future? You know, it's changed so much in the last 20 years. Um, I've started back in 2001. And so it's, it's awesome to see the progress with the world tour and the minimum salaries. And you have more of the men's teams hosting a women's team. You know, there's the big men's races are also having women's races associated with them. So there's, there's huge steps happening. There's more television coverage, but yeah, there's a long way to go still. And I think, yeah, I mean, just recently the women's Giro d'Italia is a very big race on the calendar and they weren't able to get any sort of television television coverage for it. So that's tricky. So there's, there's room to grow. Um, but small steps are happening. I always try to look at the positive side of things. Um, hopefully, you know, with the dynamics of what's going on at the Olympics with the world championship races, um, and the excitement behind just the sport in general, you see more and more people riding bikes now. Um, hopefully that gets people more engaged and more interested in watching and we can get more television coverage, which will then help the sponsorship and then create more opportunities as there's more money funneled into the sport. So Amber, I know that uh, one of the things really important to you is mentoring the next generation of cyclists, especially young women in cycling. Um, Across the, the trajectory of the years that, that you've been pouring into this sport, what have you learned from the start to now that you're imparting on the women who are now coming up in the sport? Oh, wow. Um, it's hard. I think, you, you know, you really have to work hard. There's no shortcuts. You have to be really patient with the process. I think it's really important to learn to love the process um, winning and losing. Yeah, it's important. And you can set that goal and put those out there. But to be honest with you, it gets forgotten so quickly. Um, you really have to learn to embrace the process, love the people you're with, um, learn to cherish those moments and also just see how like your own personal character in those intangibles within you are developed as you go through the hard stuff and you go through a sport like cycling. So, you know, I try to just get the young people to step back and have a broader view on everything. And that actually grounds them a little bit more too. Um, the other thing too, is just helping them walk through their training. Yeah. Training can be so, uh, you know, sometimes you feel really great, but for the most part, you have a lot of days where you're just doing today's and you have bad days and it's okay to have bad days. So really to just work with the young ones and, and help them understand just what the process is like and, 
and to just be patient with it and to learn to love it. You know, I feel like that was a life coach I moment. No? And you know what? So, and I think, you know, I'm sitting there and, and listening to what you're saying. I'm applying it to myself and mm-hmm. I'm thinking self. I think about that a lot with me, you know, for uh, MJ and I and journalism. It's like, if, if I had really embraced that early on, could I have embraced that early on in terms right. of enjoying and loving the process? And so, yeah, that really resonates. And I think that's so awesome for them to have you to look up to and learn from because, it is about the journey. And so when you're talking about the process, something you said earlier, I wanted to expand on, because when you said it, it is harder being the age you are right now, physically, the sport, how do you um, combat that? What are things that you find yourself having to do, you know, to, to adjust? I have to rest more mm-hmm. um, and more strategically, I think. Mm-hmm. I also, like my coach, Tim Cusick and I, when we build a training plan, we used to build a plan. I used to be really predictable and we would know, okay, this type of work would create this type of stress and you'd need this type of rest or this much time for the response to happen. Now we create a strategy and I have to be really good at listening to my body and not being afraid to listen to my body. And there are days that I have to push through and just kind of work through. And then I have days where I have to be disciplined enough to turn around and go home. And that's always the hardest thing, I think, as an endurance athlete, probably for any type of athlete who's trying to achieve something big, that thought of, you know, taking a day off is, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to be terrible just because I do this. And and it's not true. Sometimes that, that discipline, And that um, decision to go home and just rest can be very helpful. I mean, I've had to learn to be really good with my diet, um, be really good with my sleeping. Um, I'm also, you know, very anchored in my faith and the Lord's given me a lot of strength through all this too. So it's just a combination of everything. The key word there, discipline, right? To know yeah, when to right. listen to yourself. Oh, listen, when I said this is a life coach <laughs> segment, I meant it. Amber dropping so much Seriously. wisdom. So what is next for you now? Uh, I fly home tomorrow. And then the next big event on the calendar will be the World Championships mm. in September. They're in Belgium. Oh. So after that, to be determined on what's next. Um, I'm just going to ride out this season with everything that's in me and then we'll see if there's any more left after it oh my gosh september feels like it's two seconds away yeah, I think for we forget real. for athletes <laughs> this doesn't yeah. stop right like it, this is your life on, a, on on a regular basis yeah it's about the it's about seven weeks away so um you know when for me that was my first question to my coach was like when's worlds you know i just <laughs> i want another chance you know i was so close to a medal i just want another chance let's go wait that was your first question after you just competed <laughs> One's world. <laughs> Naturally, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the mentality that I'm talking about. You can't <laughs> yeah. teach that. You either have that in you or you don't. So will you yeah. give yourself any sort of break? And when you give yourself a break, what does that look like? What do you do? What do you indulge in? That's an awesome question. So basically at the end of the season, so after the world championships, one thing going back to the age question. So I've taken longer breaks after the season. So I've taken about two months, one to two months off the bike, like completely off the wow. bike. And I do a lot of walking and hiking. Actually, it's a really good like nervous system reset and it's very calming and it's just gives me something to do um, mm-hmm. without putting a lot of stress on my body. Yeah. 
That's great. That's funny because I find hiking extremely rigorous. And she says yeah. that's her like active <laughs> I like, well, when you're talking about resetting the nervous system, I mean, there's something to that. Like, I, I think it's so easy to get ourselves wrapped around the axle. I mean, maybe I'm speaking mm-hmm. for myself, but like, right. Yeah, we're, we're, impre- we're projecting a lot here. We are. Actually, Amber, we're using this as therapy if you say. haven't noticed. <laughs> it's good. No, you know what's so awesome is it's, it's such a... Um, it just parallels life, like sport parallels life. And so the lessons that I learn and what I can yeah. share, you guys can totally apply that. Thank well, you. we've taken a copious mental yeah. notes at this point. Amber, <laughs> you have been a delight. Uh, um, I can't say that enough. Thank you so much. Congratulations. Um, we got a new friend. We need these therapy sessions. Yeah, can I have your Probably on a weekly basis and, after yeah. your season. We gotta go for, we'll go for a walk. We're in California. Yes, yes we'll yes. go for a walk. I'll All right, come fine. meet you Email me. We'll go for a hike. <laughs> Good luck at Worlds. I'll, I'll make it easy, I promise. Please. <laughs> That's awesome, Amber. Thank you. We'll be back with more of the On Her Turf podcast after this. Coming out of the closet for me was an important step uh, on my life, but also uh, it can help other people. When the foundation it gets better, call me uh, to help them spreading the voice. I I was still in the closet and I did the click in that opportunity with them. I understood that they were there in Argentina trying to help people not to suffer. And I understood I suffered a lot in the past and in the place where I am, I can, I can help other people. And that was the thing that most encouraged myself. Now this is changing and many people is coming out Nobody deserves being sad or whatever because of uh, who you decide to love, you know? Uh, So for me, it was a great experience. It is a great experience, and I will continue with this, trying to help as much as I can. That was Argentina's Cecilia Carranza Saroli. Now, five years ago at the 2016 Rio Olympics, she won gold in the first ever NACRA 17. That's a mixed gender catamaran event. But after the first three races in Tokyo, she's in fifth place, Lens. Another sailor to know, Nikki Barnes. She's competing in the women's two-person dinghy alongside Lara Dahlman Weiss. This is so cool. cool because she is the first active duty U.S. Coast Guard officer, man or woman, to compete at the Olympics in any sport. Special place in my heart because my brother is an officer in the Coast Guard, went to the academy. She said she got her start in sailing at age six because she wanted to, quote, beat my brother in it. Enough motivation for me. Yes. Barnes, a 2017 grad of the United States Coast Guard Academy, was recently promoted to lieutenant. Gosh, they work so hard. Mm -hmm. They devote so much time, and obviously we thank them for their service. All right, coming up next on On Her Turf at the Olympics, we will be getting to know Pepper Persley, a 10-year-old reporter who has made a name for herself thanks to her strong, in-depth coverage of the WNBA. 
All right, we will be right back with much more from On Her Turf at the Olympics, more insight from Tokyo, and much more right here. Welcome back to On Her Turf at the Olympics. And I guess we can classify this as a way back Wednesday. In this yeah, case, right. it's an awesome picture of Pepper Persley wearing those very cool butterfly wings. She wings. was uh, helping with an interview with Swin Cash. This was at the age of four oh my gosh. years old. So already killing it, Lindsay. They're so precious. Six years later, Pepper has made a huge impact as a sports journalist. And uh, known for her very <laughs> thoughtful, insightful, and in-depth reporting on the WNBA. She has gained the respect of her fertile, fr fellow journalists, us included, <laughs> as well as the players. Pepper is in the house in real life, joining us now with her sisterhood sneakers. Uh, Pepper, welcome in to On Her Turf at the Olympics. You know what's awesome is you're 10 years old, but you've been doing this for a minute already. How did you get started in the world of sports journalism? Um, first of all, thank you so much for having me. And how I got started was really when I was six. Um, it's always been my dream to um, play in the WNBA because um, I, I, as um, I'm a journalist, but I also play a lot mm -hmm. of sports. Um, and my number one sport is basketball. So it's always just been what I love to do or one of the things that I love to do. And so I was just genuinely curious about the WNBA, how it worked, the players practice. And so um, I ended up having the opportunity to interview Sugar Rogers, who was then playing for the Liberty. And from then, um, I don't think at, at six I was really thinking about, oh, I can't like really do this for my right. career and for a living. But, you know, now and here I am. <laughs> wow. So what did you find out? What were the answers to your early questions yeah. that you found the most interesting? Um, I think that I always ask for advice. And a lot of things that I get is have fun and work hard and try to find the balance of doing both. Because sometimes you can get carried away of yeah. almost pushing yourself too hard. But also knowing that it's always it's a game and it's important to have fun as well. So I think <laughs> that's one of the big pieces of advice and answers that I get a lot. Wow. I mean, Pepper, you are in these press conferences. And for the record, those of you at home, if you don't know, it is very difficult to get credentialed and to yeah. get this access. Uh, and she's in there with the best of them. You have earned this spot and this access already at 10 years old. What does that mean to you? Um... I think it means the world that there's little girls and just kids in general, people in general who can see me and see that, oh, so kids can do this as well. Kids can have a job and they can manage it and school and all the other things that they might do. And I think that it's really important that people can understand that it's a possibility for kids not only to want to grow up to be something, but also mm -hmm. to try to make change and make something happen while they're still a kid. So I'm sure when you enter a room or a Zoom meeting for that <laughs> matter, Probably a lot of people are like, oh, kid reporter, cute, but you are an absolute journalist. Um, what has been, what has it been like to sort of take that stigma away and show them, nah, I've done my research. I'm here to ask the real questions. Um, I think that I get that a lot, cute, and I, and sometimes like my dad's like, oh, you can, you should use that to your advantage, but it still kind of drives me crazy. He's not wrong. Um, <laughs> yes, it still kind of drives me crazy because I want people to see that like kids can be more than just yes. the cute person there to like make it look like it can be for all ages, right? So yeah. I think that 
I try to work really hard to make it to so I don't like make a fool of myself because like I unlike, doubt you will do that. Unlike <laughs> most people, like I don't have to be there. People don't have to love me, and I'm just a random ten year old girl, or, or to them, a random ten year old girl. So I to think the, that, exactly to them. I think that it's always like um, proving myself over and over again to these people to make sure that they know that I belong here and I should be here. What's your process? How do you figure out what you want to ask someone? Um. I think that sometimes if a certain person, I like I have a question that I always want to ask them and then I think that I often just, um, depending on if it's like in the middle of the season, they're la the last game they played or the game they're about to play, questions about that. And then if there's any sort of like social activism or any news in terms of that, I think I ask about that. If not, like maybe a question about basketball for me, selfishly, sometimes I do. <laughs> As you should. <laughs> yeah. As you should. Wow, yeah, um, that's so true. Yeah. You can stockpile that info. I think one of the interesting things is when we're talking about the access to these rooms, right? I promise you, and Lindsay probably has tons of these questions. There's always one journalist who asks a question that even the players are like, what are you... What are you doing? What are you even saying? So the fact that you're going in with nuanced, very researched, in-depth questions is something to be admired. Um, but when you're giving this perspective, right, um, I want to prove myself. I want to work hard. I want to show the people that I belong in the room. Girl, these are things that college students are asking me about. These are things that took me yeah, that's decades very true. to figure out. Um, where, where do you get that mindset from? Like, who instilled this in you? Uh, my parents, okay. um, I would say. And then I think just generally seeing that people wouldn't be afraid to say no to me. Um, and so I think that I just learned that generally and definitely my parents instilled that in me. Have you had any wild moments? Like one time I had someone toss a water bottle in my direction at the, as a reaction of a question or, you know, like certain stuff mm -hmm. that, that reporters sometimes deal with, right? Have you had any... Um, interesting moments, we'll say. Not <laughs> yeah. really, because you know, in Zoom, you can't really throw a broader That's bottle. True. Yeah. <laughs> so, Valid. Great point. Girl. Zoom screen protects That's me. That's true. Uh, but, yeah, I think there are definitely some times where people just seem uninterested, uh, but most of the time, it's a lot of just positive vibes from the players I talk to. Awesome. Um, Pepper, I have one last um, question for you. You said when you started this out, you said, hey, I was just curious. I just want to see. You didn't think that this was something that could really go long-term for you. It's tough for me to sort of ask you at 10 years old to like fixate the rest of your life because it took me until 25 to realize what I wanted to do with my whole life. Um, but what else do you, are you really passionate about that we could perhaps see? Um, I don't know. I have a lot of backup plans for my backup plans. And things. So, I, so <laughs> no. my, like, my number one would be um, a WBA player um, mm -hmm. turned reporter. So I guess reporter turned WBA player turned reporter again. Or all um, at the same time. Or uh, I, I guess right? I could do that at the same time. I mean, I'm ba balancing school and um, this now. So I guess maybe I could do that. But that's like two really serious jobs. I don't know. Yeah. It I might end up being like, have the mic my whole game and just report. They do that now playing. though. You they know? do actually. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I think I that like um, I also am really passionate about like all the other things I do. So I play um, softball, soccer, basketball, obviously. Um, I do Taekwondo. I'm almost a black belt, which is really exciting. <laughs> um, and then I also do the violin. So I think or I play the violin. So I think that any of that, I think I could definitely continue to do. Um, I feel like you might even need though some hobbies. Taekwondo is I really wish you would apply some yourself hobbies. more to things. <laughs> This is amazing. Sarcasm, of um, course. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, you, it's... Yeah, what were you saying? You were, uh, yeah. And I think also I really love writing. Um, cool. That's not only because my dad's an English teacher. I just oh. love writing. Papa Bear. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, I, w I just heard someone just gave me advice saying, like, 
you shouldn't have a backup plan. And I, that was the first time I've thought, you know what? I disagree. Yeah. I don't disagree, but I don't, I don't think all in, but I think, I think having a backup plan is smart, but I also think there's something to doing what you're doing and what we're seeing a lot of people doing now and, and going for it, right? Like, and of course, if it doesn't work out, then, then you figure it out and then yeah. you pivot. But I thought that was really fascinating, you know, fascinating insight. I saw that you said when someone asked you why you love the WNBA so much that you said because you're watching these ladies that look like you. We don't have the perspective and the chance to hear from the other side from kids your age about what that really means. So often we hear people say, oh, we want to be an example or role models. So what is that like to have that example? Tell us, like for kids that are your age, you know, what does it mean to have that? Um, I think it means the world because, like, it, you can see, you can be it. I think I wouldn't be able to imagine um, even being here without the incredible representation in sports media and in um, basketball and sports because it's really hard to imagine yourself being something, doing something without an example um, or a standard set. And I think that I've been really lucky to grow up where there um, is a lot of women's sports that I can watch and it's ha easier access, even though it's not quite enough yet. Um, and I think that. Um, I feel really lucky and fortunate to have the opportunity to grow up and to see these women the second I turn off, um, turn on my TV, if that's what I want to do. So I feel very fortunate. Mm -hmm. Just so you know, it, it works the other way too, because I see myself in you, like 10-year-old MJ here, trying not to make it a blubbering fool of myself in this moment, <laughs> but you are very inspirational. I didn't have that at 10. So thank you for pursuing that. But so I could cut myself <laughs> off from crying. You talk about the representation on, on television. And so we thought it was appropriate um, to have a friend come in and say a socially distanced hello to you. Um, someone you've met before. Yes. <laughs> Monica McNutt, as you see there coming through, she could not miss the opportunity to come here. And I know we got, you know, protocols and such, but we had to had to sort of make this happen for you guys. I know you met at a little bit. Hugs. Yes, air, air hugs, air hugs. Technically, I can't hug you, but um, right. I'm glad you didn't cry, but that was such a great Girl, moment. Girl, we were there. That we were there. <laughs> we were there. Uh, but you know I love you. I'm a huge fan of all of your work. Thank you. And as you said, the advice that you've gotten is to continue to work hard and keep it up. Girl, you're taking all of our jobs. We already okay. know. Right, right. right. You know what? We have to switch it, like, yeah. for all, all of us to be sitting at this table. That's the future. It's not right. she's taking our jobs. We're going to be working um, together real is. soon. But when you are on prime time, please don't forget us. Can I ask you one question? How do If bedtime comes in the way, of watching the end of a game. What do you do? How do you get your stuff? Well, it's a lot of, well, daddy, mommy, it's, it's my job. It is your job, yes, girl. That's amazing. We're going to keep visiting here. For yeah, you guys keep visiting. Oh, my goodness. Thank awesome you so too. much for tuning in to watch On Her Turf. This is what it's all about. Thank you. For more, go to at On Her Turf and also check out our podcast. Thank you. This podcast is presented by NordaTrack from iFit.